This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another podcast world. My name is Jacob, and today I'm going to be talking about what I consider very interesting in the stock market news currently. I mean, we have times where we're watching either CNBC or we're watching Fox Business. And as you're watching these programs, you don't really get a feel that they're talking about everything that's happening in the market, which we can understand a little bit because. I mean, they probably already write their programs the day before, what they want to cover, what they want to talk about. And so there's not really flexibility, it seems like, with these TV shows at times. And obviously, there's plenty of YouTube channels out there, too. But I thought I would just give my own personal opinion on things that I'm reading because I read about the market a lot and I watch about the stock market a lot. And granted, just thought I would just express my thoughts and opinions in these podcasts that I'm currently making. That being said, though, before I do begin today's podcast, I do have to admit I am not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. I cannot give you financial advice in any way, shape, or form. You need to talk to your own financial advisor before making your own investment decisions. This whole podcast is for your entertainment purposes only and to also be able to have entertainment as well. That being said, let's begin with today's uh, articles that I've been reading up on. So, for instance, the first thing I need to point out, and this was brought up on Fidelity, on their website, their, one of their articles states, IPO, IPOs have a dismal quarter. The silent spell could be ending. For those of you who remember 2021, it was a big year for IPOs across the board. And a lot of companies went public and there's benefits to going public. Um, you get more access to capital. You get more access to being able to show that you're a legit company. But there's also some downfalls to that as well. The article goes on to say the war in the Ukraine has, uh, sorry, the war in the Ukraine and volatility from churning stock markets put new issues more or less on hold for the three months through March. The number of U.S. initial public offerings plunged about 81%, while valuations were off 91%. Yet there are signs of activity in the current quarter. Just 77 companies had gone public as of March 30th, raising 12.2 billion, according to data from. Uh, deal logic. This is down from 395 businesses collecting 104 billion that listed their shares for the same period in 2021. The 77 IPOs included 53 special purpose acquisition companies, or SPACs as they're known, and were valued at 9.8 billion. This is an 82% decline from the 297 blank check companies that were raised 98 billion the year ago of the quarter. 24 companies also listed their shares via traditional IPOs, raising $2.4 billion. This represents a near 76 decline from the 98 companies that collected about $42 billion for the comparable period of 2021. The downturn in new issues comes after a record-breaking year for IPOs. More than 1,000 companies went public in 2021, raising about $315.6 billion, the most in two decades. It's not too surprising that there was a big sell-off given that the deals were getting done at stretch valuations in 2001, said Matt Kennedy, senior IPO strategist at the research firm Renaissance Capital. 
I agree. There were a lot of IPOs last year that did not meet their valuations in general. I also think too that IPOs just give an excuse for Wall Street to be able to make a quick buck as soon as possible and then sell without holding on to long term. Granted, these are firms that are trying to make as much money as possible for their clients that they currently have. But in a way, I mean, IPOs, like I said, are good. For instance, in this same article, they're they're talking about some of the IPOs that are coming in for this year. So for instance, also some companies seeking to list their shares is Chobani this year. The yogurt maker that filed confidentially for an IPO in July uh, Chobani was expected to list late in 2021, but is now expected to launch its offering when the IPO market returns. Barron's has reported Reddit that social media companies also confidentially filed for an offering as well. I think Chobani can be a decent one, but the thing with Chobani is it is a yogurt company. And granted, when I did work in retail uh, a few years ago, it, it I mean, it was a yogurt that a lot of people did love to eat. And I am expecting potentially Shabani to take away some market share, but I don't expect it to be that big of a IPO, to be honest. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Maybe there's things I don't know, but I mean, Shabani is kind of somewhat of a popular yogurt, at least when I worked at Target during that time. What I am interested though for the IPOs that are coming up is Instacart. Instacart was huge for Target a few years ago when they signed that deal to be a partnership because I remember when I was working at Target that I would be sitting there doing my job, stacking the shelves or whatever it was. And I remember the Instacart people would sometimes come up to me and ask, hey, do you have this or do you have this? But for the most part, they were pretty good at staying within the realm of finding what they needed as long as we provided the product on the floor. I'm expecting Instacart to be probably a big hit this year, mostly because some people just don't like going to grocery stores. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I dread going to grocery stores at times. And I sit there and I'm like, great, I have to go shopping. I have to stand there in line. But with Instacart, it's quite nice because you can actually put in your order. Someone goes, picks it up for you. Probably a small fee, obviously, because they're saying in this article, the grocery delivery startup, which cuts its estimated valuation by 40% to 24 billion last week, Instacart has valued at 39 billion in March of 2021 when it raised 265 million. I think that valuation is a little too low, but that's just me. I think Instacart's kind of the future of where grocery chains are going. I mean, people don't want to go shopping as much anymore and they want to give up their free time to go shopping. And so they'd rather potentially pay people. I mean, for crying out loud, we buy things off Amazon and or Walmart.com or whatever it is. And people deliver stuff to our doors without us having to leave our homes sometimes. So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Instacart becomes like a big hit for this year. But that being said, we also don't know what's going to happen with Instacart because it seems like at times IPOs have companies jump ridiculously high like Coinbase did when it went public and then come crashing back down to earth. But Instacart seems to be the most interesting IPO, at least in this article that they speak of. So I would personally keep an eye on that. I mean, like I said, just being a former Target employee myself, Instacart was quite nice, actually, because I didn't really have to like interact sometimes. I mean, I did interact with the people who worked at Instacart, but they were mostly just trying to figure out where to get the products that they were looking for. So who knows? 
I mean, like I said, I could be completely wrong, but I'd keep an eye out for Instacart. Uh, another article that caught my attention is actually has to do with the CEOs of companies. And this could get interesting due to the fact that there are midterm elections coming up. And granted, this is not supposed to be a political podcast, but it is something to keep an eye out for to hear what these representatives say in Congress or the Senate when the time comes. According to Reuters in Boston, U.S. CEO pay source 31% on stock and cash reward study fines. Medium pay for top U.S. CEOs rose by 31% last year to a record $20 million, a new study found surging after a slight decline during the COVID-19 pandemic, as companies showered leaders with stock awards and cash bonuses. They go on to say chief executives receiving big pay increases include the leaders of tech giant Apple and semiconductor manufacturer Broadcom, according to the study released Monday by research firm Equilor. It covered the 100 largest U.S. companies by revenue. That filed proxy statement by March 31st. The same study a year ago found medium CEO pay was 15.5 million, 2% lower than it was in 2020. Equaler, director of content Emmett, said companies look to reward leaders who stirred them through challenging through challenges like supply shortages, rising revenue, share prices, also boosted compensation. A lot of these companies did well during the pandemic, and that was definitely driving the increase in pay. Now, the only reason I say we need to potentially keep an eye on this is I'm curious to know if it's even brought up, okay? I mean, 31% increase in paying CEOs. I mean, by all means, if a CEO is doing a really good job, then by all means, pay the CEO. But at the same token, when you have people who are losing their jobs left and right, the question also becomes is, what's going to happen in these situations. I mean, their board meetings coming up again, or not board meeting, I mean, their shareholders meeting is coming up. And that's another thing I'm curious to look into as well is how are shareholders going to react to the situation if they learn that Tim Cook got a 31% increase last year in stock options and cash and all that stuff. I mean, like I said, if the CEO is doing well, by all means, pay the CEO. But I'm curious to know how shareholders are going to react to these situations now because, I mean, look at Broadcom, for instance, the CEO, um, he, he received $60.7 million last year. That's up from $3.7 million the year before. And on April 4th, investors cast 80% votes in favor of the pay. So obviously, Broadcom, they were totally okay with it. Um, but when we look at Apple, it says here, Tim Cook, CEO... Um, of Apple received 98.7 million last year, up from 14.8 million in 2020, including a major stock award. Investors cast 64% votes in favor of the pay at the company March 4th annual meeting of the low level of support. So maybe, I mean, there is another meeting coming up for Apple and I'm pretty sure shareholders maybe have already voted, but it's still interesting to look at. I mean, CEOs are getting paid more, but is it really worth it sometimes? I mean, like if, if, I mean, if a chip maker was doing well, I mean, I can understand and a technology company in general, I mean, cause technology is constantly advancing, but it also begs the question of what's considered enough sometimes, I guess, 
but I also don't get to make those answers. I mean, I am a technical shareholder of Apple myself. I do have to admit that right now in this podcast. And like I said, I'm not trying to cushion my investments. I mean, my mere, what, less than 200 shares is going to really make a difference in net worth? Not really, but I mean, it's just one of those things where you sit there and you're wondering sometimes like, what's going to happen if these CEOs keep getting increased in these paychecks, I mean, obviously we have the right to vote in these shareholder meetings, but at the same time, it's just like, what, what are we, what are we voting for sometimes? It's just food for thought to think about. Cause I mean, like I said, if a CEO deserves it, by all means, go pay the CEO by all means, you want to keep top talent. I completely understand that, but I'm also, like I said, curious to know if any of this will get mentioned come midterm elections in the politics world. That's something I would definitely need to keep an eye on, especially if you are an investor. You want to be able to know what's going to happen to your to our money before it even happens. So, I mean, it's just something to think about. Now, something that has caught my attention finally, and this will be the last thing that we talk about today. And it has to do with the healthcare sector. Because like I said, it's things that are catching my eye a little bit. And there's these trends that are starting to appear from CNBC from three weeks ago. And I'm surprised this isn't being talked about a little bit more, especially with the way uh, how pharmacies have been going. I'm going to give you a sh short story. So yesterday was Easter and we were spending time with my grandma. And she had to go to a local CVS store to go get her prescription. Granted, uh, it was a CVS store, but I walked in there and I remember thinking, I was like, I have read that, and this was from a few years ago, that CVSs were slowly turning their hubs into walking clinics. I mean, that's pretty impressive that CVS is going to still do that, but this was a brand new CVS and they had just finished built and it still looked like a typical CVS store. So maybe they weren't, maybe not doing it to all CVS stores, but it was still interesting to see how there was a pharmacist behind the counter who was filling up the prescriptions. Now, the reason I say this is interesting is because if you know and have been following, there's a new trend called NowRx. Um, full disclosure again, I am an investor in NowRx. I invested back, I think it was in 2016, but that's because at the time I believed in the technology. But here's what things get interesting. Walgreens and this is from CNBC, Walgreens turns to robotics to fill prescriptions as pharmacists take on more responsibility. Key points from the article, Walgreens Boots Alliance is opening a robot-powered micro-fulfillment centers across the U.S. To, to fill customers' prescriptions as the role of stores and pharmacists change. The drugstore chain plans to open 22 facilities across the country, and by 2025, as much as half of Walgreens' total prescription volume could be filled at the automated hub, said Rex Swords, who oversees the network of facilities at Walgreens, Group President of Centralized Service Operations and Planning. The article goes on to say, in North Lake, Texas, bright yellow robotic arms are becoming a bigger part of Walgreens' workforce. Inside of a large facility in the Dallas area, they fill thousands of prescriptions for customers who take medications to manage or treat high blood pressure, diabetes, or other conditions. Each robot can fill up 300 prescriptions in an hour. In an hour. That's pretty impressive. The company said roughly the same number was a typical Walgreens pharmacy with a handful of staff may do in a day. 
think about it. If your prescription is, it takes you all day to fill up 300. Now you got a robot that can do it in less than 300 in less than an hour. That's kind of a game changer in pharmacy. I mean, now our X kind of pioneered what's happening and it's good because things do need to change. But now you have Walgreens who's doing this now too. It goes on to say, Walgreens Boot Alliance is opening the automated centralized hubs to keep up with the fast-changing pharmacy industry. The pandemic has intensified the drugstore chain's need to stay relevant as online pharmacies um, siphon off sales and more customers have items from toilet paper, toothpaste delivered to their doorstep. That's what I was talking about earlier. Remember about Instacart? That might be one reason why they're doing this. The global health crisis has also heightened demand for pharmacists as hospitals and drugstores hired them to administer COVID vaccine and tests. That has forced Walgreens and its, and its competitors, CVS and Rite Aid, to rethink the role of stores and pharmacies. Walgreens' new CEO, former Starbucks operating chief, uh, Roz Brewer, wants to make healthcare the company's growth engine. It's acquired the majority stake of Village MD a primary care company, an IA and pharmacy and healthcare automation technology company that is helping to build out the centralized hubs. It is exploring a potential sale of its UK-based boost business. That's interesting that they're thinking about selling their UK business. I mean, you would probably want to keep that side of things. I mean, Europe is older when it comes to age, at least in Italy, if I'm not mistaken, maybe the UK soon, but who knows? It goes on to say in the article, by 2025, as much as half of Walgreens prescription volume from stores could be filled at automated centers, said Rex Swords, who oversees facilities as Walgreens Group President of Centralized Services Operations and Planning. That will free up more of pharmacists' time to provide health care, Brewer said at an interview with CNBC. We are doing all this work so that the pharmacist has an easier job so that they can get back to being front and center, building a relationship with the patient and interacting the way that they're trained. The work that they love to do, she said. Pharmacists will continue to fill sensitive uh, medications and control substances at local stores as the company expands its use of robots. And I think that's pretty much, let's see, is there anything else to talk about? Oh, yeah, CVS. CVS uses robotics to assist in fulfilling prescriptions in its highest volume stores. But though, uh, but through a spokesman, the company declined to say how much of its overall volume is filled by automation. Automation is kind of the future. Okay. Whether we uh, like it or not, that's where things are going. I personally think it's going to be really great that robots are going to fill prescriptions. I mean, in a way, if like I, like we read in the article, it frees up time with the pharmacist at the Walgreens and potentially the CVS. NowRx has been pioneering this for the last few years. I mean, that's what makes NowRx an interesting company in general is that they're automating their solutions. And now Walgreens and CVS are having to jump on this trend as well. And it's interesting that Wall Street isn't looking more into that because I personally think they're going to start making way more money. I mean, there, there's a there's a potential worker shortage in the making. It just seems like it right now. I mean, wages are going up. You have obviously inflation, I think, is here as well. And as we as CNBC had recently reported, it was like a 10%. There's a lot of issues and companies are going to have to start cutting down on cost. And the only thing that seems to potentially be helping is robots. And Wall Street doesn't seem to have heard the story as much. Now, granted, there are professionals who probably 
actually watch these things, but Wall Street hasn't caught on to this yet. I wouldn't be surprised if eventually we go into a CVS or Walgreens and we start seeing the robots in the back of the pharmacy filling the drugs, which would also make things very interesting to think about as well, because that means the that means you don't have to wait in line as long anymore. And that's usually a killer is having to wait in line a lot when you have to go pick up your drugs. And so it's going to be curious to see how these robots can help pharmacies. And it's also curious to know how much these companies are going to make. I mean, we just talked about too, about how CEOs got a 31% increase. How much do you want to bet the CEOs of, of Walgreens and CVS and even Rite Aid, obviously now RX2, who's been pioneering this. I wouldn't be surprised if because of the automation that how much they save that eventually I expect CEOs of those companies to probably get higher than 31%. My safe bet would probably potentially be a 40% pay increase, but that's just me guessing. Uh, Like I said, these are just all my opinions, but I mean, it's, it's where things are going. The article goes on to say, glimpse of the future. The robot powered center in North Lake, roughly three, 36 miles north of Dallas, offers a glimpse of Walgreens' future. It is staffed by 220 workers, including a handful of licensed pharmacists. Each day, about 35,000 prescriptions are filled at the Dallas area facility, but eventually that number will increase to as many as 100,000 daily, Swords said. 35,000 to 100,000. That's like a 65,000 increase on in fulfilling prescriptions. That's kind of a big deal. Over the next three years, Walgreens plans to grow to a total of 22 facilities and serve up 8,500 of the company's nearly 9,000 stores. It is open to other near Phoenix and Memphis. Instead of getting filled by hand, pill bottles and caps move through a uh, choreographed and highlighted automated assembly line. It's interesting because if you actually look at the photo, you actually can see what the robot is seeing. A team of workers feed robot pods containers of pills. Each medication gets its own uh, canister and pill counter. A yellow robotic arm grabs a labeled pill bottle, holds it up to the canister, which dispenses pills like a carefully calibrated vending machine. Things are getting really interesting in the pharmacy world if this is really where things are going. I mean, like I said, this frees up a lot of time. I mean, I think, like I said, in the future, I think eventually you're going to start seeing these things in pharmacy stores. It just saves a lot of time to be able to use robots and machines in general to help pretty much mankind better the work that they do and it just makes things just really really easy for the general public in general i mean i mean our smartphones have made things a lot easier too at times i mean the other thing too that can help with pharmacists too is if kids have to or kids or adults have to get shots it's a lot easier for them they don't have to stop what they're doing to give a patient a shot no you have a robot that's doing it now and it frees up a lot of time for the pharmacist. And then the pharmacist is obviously able to answer questions and be able to um, talk to the customers in general about what they need to do to take when they're taking their medication. It just frees up a lot of time for these people. And so it's it's very interesting to see where things are going. So, but that being said, guys, uh, thank you for listening to today's podcast. Um, like I said today, this is all for entertainment purposes. Everything I say is based on my own opinion and my own thoughts. This, you, I am not a financial advisor in any way, shape or form. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, I ask that you please subscribe 
as every uh, subscription that we get in this podcast helps be able to drive this channel content to be able to keep talking about the stock market and news and what's happening. That being said, guys, thank you so much for listening today. Thank you and goodbye.